Hey, Adam Smolcom here, lead pastor of Vive Church. Welcome to our podcast. I pray that God will speak to you through the message today and that a greater level of faith would be unlocked in your life. God bless. All right. Well, let's say hello to our panelists. We have the Velvet Hammer here, everybody. Hello, babe. Good evening, everyone. You look amazing, by the way. I love all the Christmas cheer. And there's a few Santa hats in the middle here. I love it. I'm all about it. Where are all the Christmas outfit folk at? Have you got something Christmassy on? Stand up, stand up, stand up. Show us, show us. Look at that. Wow. Wow. Not as many as I thought, but hey, you are making up for the rest of us because they are looking fantastic. How you doing, honey? Fantastic. You love Christmas, don't you? I I love Sundays in the house with my church family. They're my favourite day of the week. Especially Sunday nights. Sunday nights are lit. Yes. Literally. Yes. We're going to light up tonight. Amen, amen. Amen. Pastor Chase Wiggins, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Yeah. Doing really well. Excited for Christmas? I am. I'm very excited. It's going to be amazing. Just looking at these pagan Santa hats out here. Yeah. (laughs) With that. Shots fired. Hey, we want to get into a conversation tonight. We know that there is a lot of things to get to. We do have candy canes, real reindeers. We have Santa and we have Christmas trees outside. And I know that what, that's what the main event is and the reason that you came tonight. So we don't want, to, don't want to delay that too much. However, we do want to have a bit of a conversation uh, that for some of you may seem a little redundant, if I'm going to be honest with you. I, I put it out there this week. We want to have a discussion and answer the question, is Christmas a pagan tradition? And some people said, why are we even talking about that? And that's a good question. Why are we even talking about that? And the reason we're talking about that is because really in the last probably just over 20 years of doing ministry, never in my life have I been confronted by somebody who has asked me why as a pastor we engage in Christmas. It happened online a couple of weeks ago for the first time. Uh, we were given a vision update in front of our Christmas tree. And uh, somebody online uh, decided that they would ask me, how is it that as a pastor, I would dare have a Christmas tree, a pagan idol? Of course, I thought that was just a normal weirdo online and didn't answer them. Then last week, I had a conversation with a couple of people who were convinced that Christmas uh, is a pagan tradition. And I thought, okay, okay, Gen Z. Okay, no, I'm kidding. Okay. (laughs) No, Vox, Gen. They're too smart. They're too smart. You do not represent all of Generation Z, by the way. I'm just going to let you know. You were in the house of God, so you were smarter than the rest of your generation. However, however, the, the challenges to Christmas being a pagan tradition did come from uh, several people in that generation, which kind of speaks to the notion of, I wonder how many things we engage in that we don't really have a conviction around. That's great. Do we just mindlessly engage in things without a conviction around what is it that we are engaging with? So I thought that would validate a conversation and I thought I would have these brilliant minds up here to help me navigate, is Christmas a pagan tradition? And, and I framed it that way because that's how it was presented to me. And, and to be honest with you, pagan isn't a word that I hear on a day-to-day dialogue. Anybody with me? Like it, literally been a minute since I've heard the word pagan. So I thought before we 
discuss whether Christmas is a pagan tradition. We should find out what is pagan. You with me? Like, like what is pagan? Because we don't use that word so much. I'm just throwing it out to either of you who would like to have a dab at what pagan is. No, I'm going to let you, seeing you pointed it out. Oh, I was being facetious. Uh, pagan in a Western, well, not even, let, let me not even say Western. It's, it's contextual to culture, but from a theological point of view, a biblical stance, from a Christendom perspective, paganism is anything that is anti-Christian. Right. So that includes everything that has been created that is anti-Christian. Right. Um, so yeah. I mean, but we don't use the word pagan. Right. We, in fact, you might even be really hard pressed to find it in the Bible. Right. What you will find in the Bible though is Gentile. And what you probably find in conversation these days more than pagan is the word uh, probably secular or worldly, uh, unbelieving, non-believer. They're kind of the terms that we have softened or used to describe what is pagan. And you're right. Anything that is ultimately not made for service for God or worship of God or made by a Christian is essentially pagan, which fascinates me uh, when it comes to the, the idea of Christmas being pagan, especially if we're going to point out Christmas, because Christmas literally has Christ and mass in it. So it's a mass a gathering of Christians, which is fundamentally what Christmas is, to celebrate something, that the Christians are gathering traditionally to celebrate something, and we know at the origin is the birth of Christ. That's, that's why we gather as Christians traditionally. So the, the, the kinds of people that are going to label Christmas a pagan tradition have decided to overlook everything else in life that doesn't even have Christ in it and excuse those pagan things to, engage in, uh, to not engage in Christmas. Are you with me? So for instance... Um, how many people are in jeans tonight? I'm going to take a pretty wild shot and say they were made by a pagan company. Unless they're true religion jeans. I'm, just, I'm joking. I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> Especially if they're true religion. Uh, this, this, let me get a little bit more Silicon Valley. How many people um, have a, a blessed iPhone He just held it up. I like that. <laughs> this cost me a lot of money. I'm showing this off. You're engaging in a pagan device. How many people work for that pagan company? I'm, just joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm messing with Put you. your hand up. I mean, if we're going to get down to it. And we're going to articulate what is pagan. We, we, we really have to articulate everything that is not made for Christ or essentially by Christians. And, and, and if you want to go down that pathway, then you're going to find yourself very swiftly in the camp of Pharisees. 
and Sadducees. You remember those people in the Bible, the, technically those who opposed Jesus? What made a Pharisee or a Sadducee uh, by definition is they were separatists. They separated themselves from the worldly, the pagans, the Gentiles, those who were considered unclean by their Jewish standards, and they would separate themselves. They would not engage in any practice that was considered or deemed unclean, and therefore, their whole premise was, that's not what we do. This is what happens when Christians cherry-pick what they want to call pagan and say that we are not going to do that whilst literally living, breathing, wearing, promoting, and branding themselves with the very things that they're choosing to consider pagan. So that's the, the basis of what we would consider to be pagan. Let's, let's bring it back a little bit more to Christmas for a moment. Let's talk history. We've got the Velvet Hammer here, she's a master, doing a master in divinity, and so uh, we thought we'd bring the heat and get some history on Christmas, because while we're celebrating, honey, we're celebrating, of course, Christmas, we, we want to celebrate, that's why we have a star on the Christmas tree, because the yeah. wise men followed a star, it pointed them to Jesus, we've got the manger and all that kind of stuff, but give us maybe a bit of a broader view, in fact, before you do that, okay. can I give you some... Uh, scripture that was given to me as to why Christmas is pagan. They use the Bible. In fact, I want to show you something in uh, Jeremiah. In Jeremiah. Because, yeah, go there real quick. And this is going to be helpful to know. This is the verse that is put out there uh, anytime that there is a, uh, an argument for Christmas trees specifically. Not just Christmas, but Christmas trees being, uh, so I'm just trying to get to Jeremiah, Isaiah, Jeremiah. Okay, Jeremiah 10. This is the scripture that was presented to me uh, as to why Christmas trees are pagan. It says this in verse one, hear the word of the Lord speaks to you, O house of Israel. Thus says the Lord, learn not the ways of the nations, nor be dismayed at the signs of the heavens because the nations are dismayed at them for the custom of the peoples are vanity. A tree from the forest is cut down and worked with an axe by the hands of a craftsman. They decorate it with silver and gold. They fasten it with hammer and nails so that it cannot move. Their idols are like scarecrows in a cucumber field and they cannot speak. They have to be carried for they cannot walk. Do not be afraid of them for they cannot do evil. Neither is it in, their, is it in them to do good. That verse is obviously talking about a Christmas tree, right? Well, that's what's presented that because Isaiah says, do not participate in the customs of the world, the world go into the forest and they cut down a tree and they decorate it with silver and gold and they fasten it with nails. There you go. That's why we don't do Christmas trees. Wow. Honey. <laughs> well, actually that scripture that you're talking about is talking about idolatry. That's right. And it's written like 600 years before Jesus was born. Yes. Um, before there was a Christmas. Yes. So it definitely wasn't about Christmas trees. Right. It was about creating idols for yourself. Yes. And essentially, there's a lot of things. Like God created so many beautiful things in, in this world. Right. But we take those things as people and we begin to idolize them. We begin oh. to put them above so God. And that's when it becomes something that is pagan and not something that is holy. Yeah. 
And so anyways, the, the Christmas tree, there's a beautiful origin to the Christmas tree because I did a little bit of research and found out that actually in Germany, they, that's the beginning of the modern Christmas tree. Okay. And so they would pick a fir tree from the forest and they would bring it in. And it was actually a prop that they used for um, a feast that they partook in on the 24th of December. And it was the Adam and Eve feast. Yes. And they would come around and they would like, essentially do a play, a reenactment of what happened with Adam and Eve. I love that play. And they had, and they had a tree there that they decorated. They put apples on this tree or they put wafers on this tree, the wafers resembling the Eucharist and redemption. And then, so then you fast forward a little bit and well, you had um, Martin Luther, okay? You remember Martin Luther, yes, yes. the Reformation. So he was a phenomenal preacher as well. And he was looking for an illustration for his children about how to bring it even further in the story from not just Adam and Eve and the fall of mankind and sin and how that's overtaken everything, but to bring it into the redemption landscape even more and to talk about the light of the world, the light of Jesus Christ that has entered the world. So he redecorated the tree and he you're put You're talking about the paradise it. tree. The, well, that was the paradise tree, was the Adam and Eve tree. Yep. But then he, as out of a preaching illustration, decided he'd take the paradise tree and elevate it again and he put candles on it, decorate it. And, and every time you look at that tree, you're reminded of the light of Christ that so. has entered the world. And so when we light up our Christmas trees, we are literally, you know, putting on show the light of Jesus Christ that has been sent into the earth. And you know, and there's lots of symbolism around Christmas time. We give gifts, the generosity of, you know. Um, yeah, that's another one. Let's talk about the gift giving thing because along with the pagan tradition, what is uh, also spat out there uh, by the modern day Pharisees is that it's a consumer holiday. It's a consumer holiday. Uh, which is fascinating. Yeah, it's fascinating because the whole gift giving sort of originated with, actually it was um, Bishop Nicholas of Maya. In about 300 AD, he was a priest. He loved Jesus and he loved the poor. And so what he did was he would gather gifts and he would give them to the poor. And when he passed away, the people in the town were so, you know, impacted by his generosity and the way that he loved the poor that they continued that tradition and they began to give gifts. Every time it was his birthday, they would give gifts. And, and so that's just another expression of like the generosity of Christ. God gave his one and only son into the world that you know, example of generosity. And just as a man, he was like, you know what, I'm gonna give gifts, I'm gonna, and the Bible says that, that gifts give way for the giver. And so when we are generous as Christians and we lavish on people and we are generous with people, their spirit opens up and they, you, they, they want to know then, why are you so happy? Why are you giving in a recession? Why are you so generous? You know, I wanna know, what is it about you? And it opens up people's spirit. So to receive the message, which is the gift of Jesus Christ, which is the greatest gift that anyone could ever give or receive. Yeah, I would say that, I mean, it's very clear from what Pastor Kira said and, and historically that Christmas belongs to the church. Right, right. So the origin of Christmas yes. is Christianity. Yes. 
And of course, people can misuse Christmas. You can do the right thing the wrong way. Right. You can do the right thing for the wrong, with the wrong intention, yes. wrong motivation, yes. and et cetera. But I find it so interesting that during the Christmas season, that the example of the church literally touches not only the Western world, but the world at large, sure. which is generosity. Yes, exactly. I mean, even companies, they might do it for tax benefit reasons, but they're like, hey, it's the end of the year. We got to give. Yeah, come on. Like, it's such a potent principle that's yes. been put in place by the church of Jesus that it's touching spheres of the earth in repetition. And if you think generosity isn't biblical, you just haven't read your Bible. You just haven't. You, you just haven't read it. And so to think that at least one time a year, the world at large is being positioned to give and the origin of it is God giving his son. Come on, somebody. You can't take Christmas from the church. Like you just can't. Christmas will always belong to the church. I don't care if you say happy holidays, whatever. Christmas belongs to the church, period. What about Santa? I love him. Because what was uh, thrown at me also in my uh, conversation last week is that uh, if you actually take the word Santa and you swap some letters around, is Satan and Santa the same thing? Where does Santa come from? Santa, Santa actually comes from the bishop I just talked about, Bishop Nicholas of Maya, Saint Nicholas. Yes. And so, you know, they took Santa and they sort of like made him into this whole thing, this gives gifts to all the children of the world and all of that. But the colors are even, you know, they took the red from his bishop hat and, you know, there was just, they embellished upon it. But do I think Satan is Santa? No. And Santa is not Satan, no. And Balenciaga, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, so, I'm just playing, I'm Go just there. playing. <laughs> uh, we haven't got long enough. We don't have long enough. That'll be next Sunday night, Vive at Five. Balenciaga and Disney, that's what we'll hit next. I'm just playing, I'm playing, I'm playing, I'm playing. <laughs> I'm getting nods from every single person in here. Baal is not king, that's just what I will say. Jesus is king. Okay, however, I do want to show you a little passage of scripture. And if you want to turn to Ephesians real quick, this is going to help some people out because while. Uh, my wife and Chase have presented some pretty logical explanations as to the history of, of Christmas and ultimately the traditions of Christmas. I think we don't need to be foolish. I just think with rationale, we don't need to dig too deep to feel like we would have to be some kind of crazy conspiracy theorist to come up with giving Christmas over to the enemy to categorizing Christmas as a pagan tradition, to essentially to do that you would be losing ground. You would be forfeiting what belongs to Christ. You would be choosing intentionally to take what belongs to Christ and to the church and to the saints 
and saying, well, because the world participate in it also, we're going to let them have it. That's what you would be doing. But what you need to know is what Christians for generations past have seemed to have forgotten in different categories and different eras and different movements. And the reason we're talking about this tonight is so that this new generation doesn't do what Christians have done in the past and forfeit ground that actually belongs to the saints. To forfeit ground that belongs to the kingdom. In fact, our job as kingdom ambassadors is to take ground, not lose ground. In fact, the biblical word for it, and you're going to hear me speak about this a lot if you're at Vive Church, is the word redeem. To redeem, which is to reclaim some things. And Paul puts this at the premise of his letter to the Ephesian church. That what he wants the church, when writing to the church in Ephesus and equally to the church today, you and I, is he wants you to know not only what are you a part of, but what is your purpose in being part of this called out group of people. These people that have been chosen by God, called into his family, been adopted into his family, that have been saved, sanctified, uh, are being uh, made new and now put on a mission. But what is that mission? And he makes it very clear here. First, he says this in verse three of chapter one. Let me read it to you. He says, blessed be the God of our Father, Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. Verse six, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us in the beloved. Verse seven. In Him we have received, sorry, we have redemption. There's that word. Through His blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ. Check this out, verse 10. As a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven, and things on earth. This is really important to know. And I will paraphrase it for you what the Apostle Paul is trying to communicate to the saints. That he is saying is because you have been redeemed. What does that mean to be redeemed? Well, re establishes a, re, a, a return or a bringing back to what was originally deemed. Yep. That you were created for God. Yes. That you were created for community with God. But because of sin, that community was lost. And because you were lost, you needed a rescuer. Someone who could re-rescue you back into relationship with God. And that's where redemption comes into place. And as redeemed people, it is your job to also redeem people. That free people, free people. It's very hard for a bound person to free somebody. But because you've been set free in Christ Jesus, you now have the mandate and freedom as the keys. Whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth is loosed in heaven. You have been given freedom ability. Now, as a redeemed agent of God, your job is not just to redeem people, but also redeem spheres. What are spheres? I'm talking about the sphere of education, the sphere of medicine. Dare I say the sphere of technology, the different industries and spheres where the Christian shouldn't just say, well, hey, now we've got, we've, got, we've got pagans participating in that. We're just going to give them that. Like we're just going to start 
letting that go over like politics. We're just going to give that to the world and Christians shouldn't be a part of politics. My goodness. If we're going to take what Paul is talking about, he's not just saying cherry pick what we feel we can just own in, in its entirety. Like unless we can have all of it be Christian, we're going to have none of it. Paul says everything, all things in heaven and on earth were meant to unite under Christ. Meaning as ambassadors for God, as redeemed agents on earth, we will go into every sphere and be a Christ ambassador to be the light of the world in that space, redeeming it and reclaiming it for God. All right, we're at about 30%. Let me marginalize the crowd a little more. Because this is what Christians, Christians have left the church over more than anything else. Can I talk about Halloween? Sunday night. Don't go there. Okay. No, no. Like, you have, it, it, it is amazing how many Christians relinquish Halloween to the world and say, well, not, not for me and my house. We will not. We will shut the lights off and we'll close the door and we'll pretend like we ain't home because we are not going to exercise any pagan holidays or traditions. That sounds like retreating, not redeeming. That sounds like forfeiting. I'm not saying have a seance. <laughs> right. yeah, no, it's, yeah. For sure. it's not what I'm saying. Right. Right. I'm not even saying you have to dress up like a witch or something evil. But to reclaim things that the world have taken would mean that I have to be present and promote Christ and, and, and that, doesn't mean, that doesn't mean that I need to be the biggest weirdo in my block. But can I be the greatest example of Christ in my block? Do we forget that Christ didn't do what the Pharisees did? That Jesus didn't walk the earth and remove himself from everyone. In fact, what offended the separatists, the Pharisees, was the fact that he was eating with tax collectors. That, that, that he, he was eating with the prostitutes. Like that, he might as well have been having Halloween. It was so shocking that he wouldn't separate himself, that he would defile himself in such a way. Now, don't get me wrong, there is a defiling. Yeah. There is a way that as Christians, we will defile ourselves and not be holy. But as holy agents in the world, there is a way to engage in the world or what is in the activities of the world to reclaim them. For In, the, in the other words, how do I model the values of Christ? How do I be the most generous person on my block? How do I give the king size candy bars? Because that's what Christians do. We don't skimp. We don't get like, you know, the, the dollar shop candy. We, we, we get like, we, we get the good stuff. We get like the brand candy bars and we go all out and we bless our neighborhood and we dress up our home because we're engaging in winning people for Christ. There is a redemptive nature and the moment we start forfeiting things to the world, we're actually losing ground rather than reclaiming things for the kingdom and for Christ. Give some thoughts.
Yeah, I think you said it brilliantly, Pastor. I think places that the church does not go is ground that we instantaneously give to the enemy. Yes. And and I think sometimes the the battle that people have is they're too caught up in their old self and not leaning enough into the new person that they are in Christ. Yes. And what's actually motivating you to not engage the, to not engage these things is actually a spirit of fear. Right. Timothy experienced that. Yes. And he experienced it where? In Ephesus, a port city where there was idolatry everywhere. And that's where Paul said to his young kid, that's where you're going, my man. And that's where you're going to build that. You're going to build it a port city that's the epicenter of culture that has a lot of false gods, a lot of terrible doctrine, and you're discouraged. But let me remind you when I put my hands on you, God hasn't given you a spirit of fear. But I'll tell you what he has given you. He's given you power. He's given you love. And he's given you a sound mind. And so what I try to look at, because I was born in the church, and that can be both a blessing and a curse. The blessing of it is the church is the community of God. The cursing is when you got bad theology. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. You know, like Halloween is of the devil. When you get bad theology, that's when it begins to jade and skew you, and you become fearful of the world. And then you begin to you know, act like Simba and the Lion King, dangers creeping behind every rock. And exactly. you don't understand the idea of what it actually means to live free. And you give the devil far too much credit, which is exactly what he wants, by the way. You know you're thinking too much about the devil when you think about him more than God. Yes. Like, we try to give him way too much authority, and that's actually what he wants. And so rather than engage in culture, Rather than moving forward and having my motivation be faith and not fear, we stay back, we live safe, we live comfortable, and the world keeps on winning. Culture keeps on winning. Music keeps on winning. Like, these things that are at the forefront of culture keep on winning because Satan's like, you won't, so I will. And that's one thing, I don't even know if you know this, Pastor Adam, but every time I walk into this church, I stop and I, I read your letter to the church. And the reason why I do that is it's a reminder to myself that we're not afraid. Exactly. We're not a fearful church. We're not afraid. We're going everywhere. Yep. And we're touching it all for the glory of God and the benefit of the church. And so I would just encourage people that if you're afraid or if, you're, if fear is the motivator, I've been there. I really have. I want to empathize with you. I've been there. But be reminded that you carry the light of Christ and where you go, that's where God is. And I would really ask the question in regards to redemption, what is worth redeeming and what isn't? Because that's really what it comes down to. People are always worth redeeming. So I'm going to go where people are. So good. So good. Yeah, I love it. I actually thought that you were going to read Ephesians 4.17. That's another one. That's another great one. I just want to read it real quick. It says, um, with the Lord's authority, I say this, live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. But that isn't what you learned about Christ. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. 
And I just think that should be the posture of the saint. That should be the posture of Christians, little Christ-like ones who go out into the world, who exercise authority over every sphere and every domain that they enter into, that you literally walk in and the atmosphere shifts and changes. There's a peace that surpasses all understanding. There's a different conversation that is happening. There's truth that's being spoken when truth is trying to be shut out and pushed out from every sphere. And so so you walk out that and you extend the kingdom of Christ on the earth today. That's what we were designed to do. That's what He purposed and planned for us to do. That's what He's empowered us to do with the power of the Holy Spirit. And so, yeah, I just, I, I really love this whole concept. If we could, as a church, get that redeeming spirit the, the, the Spirit of God that redeemed us, that renewed us, that resurrected our lives, that took me from a slave to sin and made me an overcomer in Christ Jesus. So that if we could take that out into the world and redeem others, then we would be doing what God wanted us to do. We would be fulfilling our purpose on the earth today. And I think that I want the blessing of God on our church and on our house. And when we behave like that, you attract the anointing of heaven and the blessing of God. Because we're not just trying to build some church that fills seats. We're, we're trying to fill this place and renew people and disciple people and set people free and change lives. So that's... So we refuse to retreat. Why is Christmas important? Because we ain't retreating. We're about redeeming. We're about reestablishing the kingdom of God on earth in every sphere that is possible. In the fashion industry, we're not going to let that be the devil's. We're going we're to take that back for the kingdom of God. So how, how, do you, how do you redeem a sphere? How do you, in a pagan world, if we go back to that word, in a secular society, in a secular setting, in a secular company, how do you be a redeeming agent in that sphere and in that setting? Do you have to write secret scripture and code? <laughs> or weave it somehow into a story? No, it's actually simpler than that. You simply be. You simply be. You simply be the example of Christ in that setting. Yes. Holding the virtues of Christ and the values of Christ. To be the agent in that place that speaks on behalf of God. That begins to use your persuasion and your position to bring the perspective and the principles of heaven. Even amidst an ungodly world. This is what we see throughout the Old Testament. That most of the Israelites, the Jewish People, descendants were taken into captivity, exiled, put in Babylon. But they did not stop being the people of God. They continued to be the people of God. And even the people of God had high influence in Babylonian exile. In kingdoms, under rulers who were not of God, but yet still had godly influence at the measure they could and the positions they were promoted to. And most of them were promoted to high-ranking positions because they were godly, they were diligent. They didn't remove themselves and say, we're not gonna participate, but they engage as examples of God. Using whatever sphere or influence they had to bring glory to God. That's 
how we redeem, we be. We be like Christ in the world. We be like Christ in the world. The I am of God. That I have Christ in my life. So whatever sphere, I'm not going to start cowering and being fearful and hiding out and not engaging instead. What, it, what would it look like for the saints to start seeing their spheres as platforms to redeem people to Jesus? I dare say we may just see revival. I dare say we won't be arguing over what is pagan and what isn't because we're going to start taking ground and bringing people under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. That's, that's the only way. That's the only way. To do it with generosity. The Bible does not say the world of the generous gets smaller and shrinks and we hide out. No, it says the world of the generous gets larger and larger our spheres are getting bigger as we keep being generous, as we keep modeling Christ, as we keep expanding. Watch as the world of the saint gets larger and spheres, entire industries can be reclaimed and redeemed. In fact, would you stand to your feet because we do have some things to get to, but I wanna make sure I zero this into your world. I wonder what your sphere is. I wonder what your zone is. Maybe it's not even an industry. Maybe it's your family. We're going to shrink away from your family that don't know Christ. Now you're going to consider that pagan and not going to engage in my family. Or are you going to be the redemptive agent in your family? Are you going to be the one? that Christ used to change a generational line and a heritage that has been far from God. And from your moment forward, there is a family line redeemed, brought back under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. What is your sphere? Maybe close your eyes right now in the presence of God. What's your sphere? What are the areas of your life that you've relinquished that maybe God is stirring you by His Spirit tonight? To say, I have called you and I have equipped you to reclaim that sphere for the kingdom of God. To not relent or relinquish it. To not give over territory to the enemy, but to say, God, I'm extending your kingdom here. Maybe some of you need a new commitment tonight to say, God, I've got a new energy for Monday now. Maybe you were dreading Monday, turning up to your workplace because you were just going through the motions, but you're realizing right now, I'll more than go through the motions. I'm there for a purpose. I'm there for kingdom purpose. I'm there to model Christ and be the one and only agent, if it needs be, the one person who's gonna stand up for the principles of heaven in that place. Saints, let's stop giving over territory. Let's stop relinquishing territory. Let's take back from the enemy what belongs to God. So God, I pray for each and every person here, for every career, every family member, every agent and representative of heaven tonight, Lord, that we would not be on the back foot.
but we would be front foot believers, that we would move toward people and toward spheres with a boldness and a ferocity. I pray for a deep courage in every single person, every person that has questioned, why am I in this industry? That they would now have a clear purpose for the reason that they are there. Why has God given you that favour? There's a real reason why God has given you that favour. Why do I seem to keep getting promoted in this area? Because God needs an influencer, because God needs someone who will stand for Christ in that space. So God, we pray for that. The church, the body of Christ alive on the earth, moving in power and conviction, redeeming all things, unifying all things in heaven and on earth under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. To do this, you have to belong to Christ. What Paul said, he said, my life is not my own. I've been bought with a price. To be redeemed means that you've been purchased. There was a price over your life that you couldn't pay. The Bible says it really clearly that the wages of sin is death. That's the cost. You couldn't pay it, but Jesus loved you so much that He paid the price, which began the redemption process, bringing you out of darkness into His wonderful light. It's a gift, like a Christmas gift. And all you have to do to receive this gift, because it's a gift that cannot be earned, it can simply be received. To be redeemed, you first have to receive. I don't know where you're at with God tonight. I don't know if you came to watch some kids sing a song or you came to watch a Christmas tree light up. Whatever the purpose of you being here, I do believe that God ordained this moment. I do believe that in time, God marked this moment to be your opportunity to receive the redemption that He has for your life, to put your life on purpose, to reclaim the very premise for why you were created, to not be wandering through life any longer, but to know exactly who called me, who created me and why I'm here. And I would like to pray for you tonight. For those that would like to receive this prayer that brings you into relationship with Jesus, I'd love to pray for you. In fact, why don't we do something? Why don't we just close our eyes for a moment, just to make a moment between you and God. With every eye closed, in a private moment with your head bowed, maybe. If you're saying, Pastor, I, I want you to pray for me. I want you to pray for me. I want to receive Jesus. I want to have my life redeemed. I want to know my purpose. I want to be on that pathway. And I'm going to pray for you. So when no one's looking around with every head bowed, every eye closed, if you're saying, Pastor, that's me, just give me a wave so I know who I'm praying for. I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want to acknowledge you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Who else? Who else? Yes, I see that. 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 My goodness. Who else? Who else? Yeah, up the back. In the middle, down the front. Who else tonight? Yes. Yes, over that side. Yes, I see that. I see that down the front. Yes. Just shoot it up and let me see it. And then you can put it back down. Just shoot it up real quick if that's you. Yeah. Amazing. Hands all over this place. Up in the balcony. I see that. Yeah, I see that right up the back. Hands still going up. I'm just waiting. I just want to make sure I get everybody. I see everybody. This is your moment where your whole existence 
pivots with meaning tonight. The moment where your purpose begins to be realized, where you're brought back to the original intention for your life and the power of God fills you. This is the moment right now. Anybody else? I want to make sure I acknowledge everybody. Just a little wave and I'll see it. Yeah, amazing. God, you see these hands. More than hands, you see their heart. Their hearts cry to know you and be known by you. To be restored to the purpose that you intended for them, the very reason for their creation. The Lord, tonight, as they're acknowledging their need for you, I pray that by your power, you would draw them to you. That by your power, you would redeem their life. And in redeeming their life, you would even redeem their past, putting a purpose to it. Even as jaded as it may be, as as shameful as it may be, the way you redeem God is you restore and you put purpose even to the painful moments of our life. That even our painful past can serve as a purpose for others. So God, I pray that power upon everybody tonight that is acknowledging their need for you. All across this place, from the front to the back, every single hand, we pray your power on them right now. Hey, I hope you were blessed by that message. We release new content every single week here at Vive Church. And so if you don't wanna miss any of it, I would encourage you, go ahead and subscribe. Also visit our website, vivechurch.org to stay up to date with everything that's happening in the life of Vive Church. God bless you.